Telecast. It's time for MIPCOM again, and my guests on this week's show from the world's biggest content market are President of Cartoon Channel, Paul Robinson, Benton Bailey of World of Wonder, producer of RuPaul's Drag Race, Virginia Mousselaire from The Wit, Brandon Ralph from soon-to-launch social streamer The Nile, and now Global's Eric Lapointe, Andy Fry from MIPCOM News, and MIPCOM Director Lucy Smith. It's coming right up on this week's MIPCOM 2023 special show. So I'm here at MIP Junior and I bumped into Paul Robinson, president of Cartoon Channel. How are you doing, Paul? I'm good. Nice to see you. Thank yeah. you, Justin. Yeah, great to be here. Fantastic to see you. You're a, a veteran of the kids' industry. I'd love to hear about how the kids' industry is performing. It's a very difficult time for the TV industry overall right now, but... What are the particular challenges the kids' market is facing? I think it's quite difficult because there's obviously lack of confidence in the business. Generally, buying is down. People are deferring decisions. Prices are generally going downwards, not upwards. But the demand for kids doesn't really change. I mean, kids is something that every platform wants. Kids are always going to be part of our lives. Kids are always going to want great content. And uh, kids is also very good for anti-churn. You know, you think about pay platforms, the big, big thing is they get customers in, they pay to get a customer, and then they lose a customer. So if you can hang on to that customer, it's a lot cheaper than paying to get a new customer. So kids is really good because no one wants a dispute in their household. No one wants to say, you can't have your favorite show anymore. Oh, I'll keep the kids subscription then. So kids is a really important genre, but no, not without challenge. I mean, there's been a lot of discussion in the UK about more subsidy from government, about more support. Uh, and that's the case in many markets. I think currently it's quite tough. There's also a move towards more known brands. Definitely people are buying shows they know, brands that are trusted. Because, you know, when you navigate now in the digital world, you look at your EPG or you look at your, your, your rail and you think, oh, I know that brand and I go to that. So quite hard for new content to break through at the moment, I think. But look, it goes in cycles. It's currently quite tough. I'm very optimistic. There's always going to be a need for kids' content. So I I don't think the long-term future is bleak at all. I think it's very rosy. So tell me about Cartoon Channel then. I mean, uh, what are you doing? Are you buying or selling? So we at Cartoon Studios that owns Cartoon Channel, we're in New York stock exchange quoted company we create a lot of content we're an original content creator Uh, our ceo andy haywood's the man who invented inspector gadget and he's never looked back from that and we produce our own original animated series every year that gives us rights worldwide it also gives us a unique selling point this is content no one else has and that makes us stand out from the the other big competitors you know you've got to have something unique to offer otherwise why would they deal with you? So the originals are a really important part of our strategy. We also do live action originals and recently had a lot of success with, uh, with gaming, particularly a show called Roblox Rumble, which is really simple. If you, if you look at the data, about two thirds of kids in every country in the world, between about five and 12, play Roblox. You know, kids are having Roblox birthday parties now. So the idea is a tournament. It's a knockout tournament. The kids play Roblox games, compete against each other, and they try and climb up the leaderboard. And then there's an ultimate winner and they win game consoles and prizes and they play on Zoom, but they play Roblox on Zoom. And uh, it's a really popular format because kids learn cheats, how to be better at Roblox. You know, they see other kids playing, pick up the tips and things. And it's also something you can format. So we've done a, just done an Asian version with a whole load of Malaysian kids. And that's doing really well on Astro uh, in Malaysia. So the gaming content, Minecraft and Tanky and other such brands, doing very well for us at the moment. So lots of people talk about linear TV and predicting the death of it, right? And there's an enormous amount of disruption happening in the market right now. How do you see linear TV in the the future? I think pay TV is difficult. I mean, in America now, you know, about 50% of viewing only is to linear, and that's going to decline further. In some markets in the world, 85, 90% is still linear. You take Africa, for example, VOD on demand, not really there. It's all about linear, and it will be like that for 10 more years. So it varies from market to market. But I'd also say that, you know, here at MIT, one of the hottest topics is fast. And fast is another linear type channel, free advertising supported linear TV. So linear is not dead because, you know, everyone has a time when they don't want to make a decision. Sometimes you look at your Netflix menu, or your Disney Plus menu, and there's loads of great stuff on there. But the fact there's so much choice, sometimes you can't make a decision. And linear is an easy way. You turn it on and there it is. So the rise of fast is really just more linear. So 
I think you'll find a balance. Linear is not going away. I mean, digital is definitely increasing. Non-linear is increasing. But I think the two are going to coexist and they'll find an equilibrium at some point. So one of the key topics and trends at the moment that everyone's talking about on the Croissette is AI, artificial intelligence. I would imagine artificial intelligence is set to have a huge impact on animation. How, How do you see that? Yeah, I think it is. I think for good. I mean, I see AI as a tool. I don't see it replacing human creativity. You know, all AI can do is come up with ideas based on other ideas. It can't come up with something amazing, you know, fresh that you've never seen before. And that's always going to be required. You know, great creatives, great writers, they're not going to go away. But, you know, some of the more mundane things, like, for example rendering you know rendering and animation you can ask ai to do it and then human being has to say well i quite like that but can you change that or can you change that but that could be automated you know original idea generation again can be automated so ai can be great there ai can be great in dubbing you know already if you're a factual documentary producer or you're doing natural history shows many of those voiceovers now are ai voices and sounding pretty good over time, lip sync dubbing is going to also be done via AI, and that'll be a major boon and will bring content to countries, particularly smaller countries, where dubbing is too expensive. It will bring localization to those countries. That'll be a benefit. So I think AI has to be seen as a tool. At the moment, you know, people in America are you know, saying, oh, you know, jobs are going to go. I think jobs are going to change, but they always do. The trick is if you've got something to offer that's creative and only a human being can do, you're completely safe. But, you know, the mundane stuff, I mean, hey, you've got a dishwasher, you know, you've got digital stuff in your car. You know, this is, this is progress. This is, it's going to happen. Paul Robinson, Cartoon Channel, thank you so much for joining me. Great pleasure. Thank you, Justin. It's day two here at MIPCOM, and I'm here with Fenton Bailey from World of Wonder, RuPaul's Drag Race producer. How are you doing? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, I'm really good. I'm uh, enjoying it. It's a little bit overcast now, uh-huh. but you know, a bit of rain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, but that's okay. You know, it's not dampening anyone's spirits. Mm-hmm. Fenton, tell us about first of all RuPaul's Drag Race. What an incredible TV juggernaut! Tell us about you know the history of it, how it developed, and how you developed it. You know, Drag Race has, has been on air now what mm, th- thirteen, fourteen years. Two thousand nine, it launched on a tiny channel in the States called Logo. And then after a few years, we moved to VH1. And then this past season, we've been on MTV. So it's been an organic growth. And we're just sort of thrilled and excited still to be on the air. We're like uh, 15 seasons in. But internationally, it's been become a big focus because the show has found homes in 17 countries or 17 original versions. And it's, it's just, it's become a sort of life mission, really, because I think the show is uh, really entertaining and really fun. But the talent of the queens shows you, it's very much a message of inclusiveness and live and let live and joyful creativity. So kind of something that we need to hear in this sort of crazy, sort of polarizing times we seem to be living in. Yeah, it's it's a show for the times, really, isn't it? I think so. I mean, I know, I know that there's sort of in the states there's a conservative, a sort of loony right conservative movement misidentifying drag and what it's all about and trans people. But I think that's the precise reason why the show is important because the show celebrates individuality and everybody being their own unique person, and that really we've all got to live on this planet together and learn to get along with each other. And I think that Drag Race, although not a political show per se, that message does run counter to what some people are trying to instill in us. So it's become a bit of a cause for us, I think. Are there lots of uh, spin-off shows as well on the back of RuPaul's Drag Race? Yeah, RuPaul's Drag Race. RuPaul is the first of 600 queens who have, uh, have been on the show. And over the years, untucked. UK versus the world, all stars, celebrity drag race. So there's a whole bunch of different formats and spin-offs. And then we launched Wow Presents Plus, our own subscription streaming network. And in addition to being able to watch all the different versions of drag race on, on that, you can also see originals with uh, Candy Muse and Pangina and Jimbo and Chixie and Katya. Because when we were making Drag Race, you know, 
the artistry of the queens on the show is is phenomenal and we were so excited to make other shows with people from the show and there just wasn't really the opportunity on tv to create those shows so we're like well why don't we launch a network you know like why not do it the easy way just start a new network and so far i think we've done something like 34 originals that network is, is growing leaps and bounds and you're here at mipcom well tell us what you're here at mipcom to to achieve i mean obviously it's you're, you're here to talk about the brand but you're also here to acquire content for for your service aren't you it's great to come to mipcom because you can also see what is going on you know whatever sort of things that are trending and and what how are things evolving because i think the one thing about tv unscripted television in particular is that it is a rapidly changing business and so it's great to be able to come here and still see what's what's hot and what's not so we come here to, to see what other shows are out there as well as continue talking with our partners with the existing versions of Drag Race. We just announced that Drag Race Thailand, after something of a hiatus, will be back for a third season, Drag Race Philippines, a third season, and Drag Race France for a third season. So that's, that's very exciting. And we're also looking to launch new versions of Drag Race because there are some countries, I guess all of them, where they're like, well, our audience might not be ready for this. And it's, part of a of an organic it doesn't happen overnight um we're okay with that but it's great to have these relationships and check in and see people face to face to be able to continue the the conversation thanks to mipcom and this sort of market it's just great to be able to have the opportunity to keep the conversation going and you're based in Los Angeles, but you're a Brit, aren't you? You're originally from the UK. Yeah, I'm a Brit. Yes. And I, I live in LA. Yeah. So tell us about a World of Wonder then, the business, how many people are there? Because it sounds like quite an extraordinary setup you've got with your own network and all the an enormous amount of production. Give us a sense of, of scale of World of Wonder. Well, you know, Renny and I, who's my partner at World of Wonder, we met at film school and we were always into TV. And at film school, they were like, you don't want to do that. But we were like, MTV is launching. You know, the, the, it just felt like media was changing. And we gravitated to TV. And in particular, we gravitated to public access TV, which for me as a Brit was this extraordinary thing that if you wanted to make a TV show, you could just make it and take it to the cable channel and not have to show it. Now in the world of TikTok and um, Facebook and Instagram and YouTube, now that's not so spectacular. But at the time, it was extraordinary. And you would see shows that were unlike anything else. And that was the very first series Randy and I made. It's called Manhattan Cable and all these crazy shows of public access. And since then, it's kind of grown because I suppose World of Wonder has grown because the media has grown. And now we're in this creator culture where everybody can be heard and make their own shows and that sort of do-it-yourself, almost punk aesthetic is very central to what we've always done. And I think very central to drag as well and really informs the company and has been all about its growth. So over the years, we've been very lucky. We've made a lot of documentaries. That's, that's kind of our first love. We made a, a documentary called The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which after, what, 25 years got made into uh, the Jessica Chastain movie. Um, of the same title. And we've seen literally this growth of unscripted. It just wasn't really a thing when we were starting. And and I, I guess Randy and I just had a feeling, I think first and foremost, we were just excited and interested in it. We didn't know that it would grow into this enormous industry it's become. And, and we've just been fortunate enough to sort of be along for some of that ride. So tell us about your takeaways from MIPCOM. What have you learned here this week that you're going to take back? And, yeah. uh, and how is that <laughs> going to affect your business going forward? Well, you know, I mean, <laughs> people seem to be in a bit of a little uncertain. I was going to say panic. That might be overstating it. But, you know, between the situation in Europe, the war in the Ukraine, the great streaming hangover, the big streamers have spent billions and... Now the word is that streaming doesn't work. 
this is not true. They just overspent. And so there's this retrenchment that seems to be happening at the same time as the strikes have happened. People seem very uncertain. I think the other thing that's happening is that the way people watch and interact with media is changing. So in the old sense of just, I'm just going to watch something and it's going to be great and then I'm done. I think that's on the decline. And what's on the rise is what, for want of a better word, is kind of super engagement. I think of Barbie, the Barbie movie. Everyone who went to that movie, they weren't just going to see a movie. Everybody was wearing pink. Everybody was, they were in drag, actually. Or Taylor Swift, her movie, concert movie has just opened. Everybody was dancing in the aisles, in costume, you know, breaking the rule of cinema, which was videoing the whole thing on their phones, which they allowed. What I'm saying is I think the, the way we interact with media has changed in the sense that we, we want to feel a part of it and people want to engage with it. And so I think, not old-fashioned shows, but I just think that idea of sitting back and watching something is sort of on the decline and, and what's on the rise are things that are more immersive and this kind of super engagement. So unfortunately, there's no formula for that. You know, like I've, if I knew what the next thing was, I'd tell you. But I do think Drag Race is similar to this in the sense that it is a show all of us who work on it feel a part of. And I think that the audience also feels a part of it. Fenton Bailey, thank you so much for joining us on Telecast. It's been fascinating oh, speaking to you. you. Thank you so much for having me. So my next guest on this week's show is Brandon Ralph. How are you doing, Brandon? I am good. You're a digital entrepreneur, and I think safely we could say that you are the youngest delegate at MIPCOM. Is that right? Do you think that's, a, that's accurate? Probably this year. I don't know if I'll continue to be for much longer. Hopefully not, but it does seem like a rather interesting older crowd than me. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Now, I've seen you before. I saw you at MIP TV. So tell um, our audience what it is that you do. I say digital entrepreneur, but let's expand on that. Tell us about your business. I uh, co-found and, and run a company called Nile. We bill ourselves as what we call the, the world's first social streaming platform. Uh, we're launching in 2025 and uh, we're targeting 14 to 24 year olds. And we sort of see ourselves as a mix between Netflix and Discord. And what we do is we work with lots of the largest digital creators in the world to come up with fantastic new television-grade formats. And we're doing a deal over here at MIP with a major British production company to produce that content for our platform when it launches in a couple of years' time. So uh, it's called Nile because Nile is the largest stream in the world. We also named it Nile because we fundamentally believe in building communities and the Nile has some of the largest communities around it. That's what streaming's for. We're starting to sort of build and prepare for that. Just finding interesting and different avenues to go down and, and, and find that. And that's, that's really interesting. So when you're saying partnering with social creators... Yep. Give us a bit more information on that, you know, and, and TV-grade formats. Just expand on it because it sounds fascinating and something that I'm really interested in is digital first and, and the whole next wave of entertainment. Just expand upon who you're working with and how that works in practice. Yeah, you know, we're working with the largest creators in the world like Mr. Beast, down to smaller creators that work on niches. Uh, one of my favorite sort of pastimes is watching roller coaster videos and we're working on a really awesome new roller coaster format with, with a bunch of creators there. And what we fundamentally do, I think, you know, for me, creators are probably what would have been the next generation of people to come into television. What I think often happens in TV is they got kind of plonked as on-screen talent. But actually, a lot of the creators we work with are fantastic directors. They're fantastic producers. Uh, we're working on some sitcoms with some of them. We're working on comedy festivals. We're working on anything and everything that you do in TV. But it's just doing that in a, in a more sort of youth-focused eye. And for us, what we really, really love to do is we really love to sit down with this creator get them in the room with television execs and kind of just come up with new fascinating ideas and for a lot of these creators it's not necessarily just doing what they already do online it's actually allowing them to break out of the molds of the YouTube algorithm and come up with what is their passion what is their calling what what else would they like to do and to build a business model that that works and that supports that one of the challenges of digital first is that monetization piece so Let's talk about Nile then and how that is going to work. Is it a subscription service or is it social-based, as in free to access, but 
explain your uh, your business model. So the fun answer is it's a bit of both. We're largely around three different tiers at the moment, and this is definitely subject to change. That that we've got our free tier, our premium tier, and our premium plus tier. The free tier is kind of like live channels. I guess the talk of this conference is fast, and so it's sort of that fast test stuff with some limited content, but allows people to be enticed into the platform. Our middle tier, uh, which we we're sort of putting at five ninety nine a month, comes with ads, but gives you access to all the social features, all the VOD, the full Nile experience just with adverts and then our sort of premium plus tier is sort of our ad free tier that's 11.99 and our business model is to sell that direct to consumer but also the middle tier we also wholesale to pay tv providers and to mobile phone carriers um, and so this is sort of deals we've been doing over, over not just this MIP but other MIPs in previous years sort of understanding partners of how to do that because the problem we solve for them is a lot of these media companies do great kids stuff and they do great adult stuff, but there's a big gap in the middle that they're all trying to fill and they're all trying to do different things. And so for us, we provide a solution to those big institutionalized media companies to offer a product to uh, you know, a subset of their subscribers that's something new, that's different, that's fresh. So tell us about the format of this content then. Is it short form, mid or long form or is it a mix of everything? Yeah, so it's a bit of a mix. We program around what we call our 11, 22 and 44 rule. And so we do sort of mood driven programming. So we do different types of programming for different points of the day. And so 11 minutes for us is sort of faster content sort of gets out there. Our 22 is where lots of comedy sits, but also we're doing game shows in 22 minutes. So rather than dragging it out for a whole hour, we're doing it in 22 minutes, a bit more faster, a bit there and then for 44 we see that as your sort of sit down relax longer form in the evening sort of stuff where maybe it's a, a big glossy entertainment show or, or, or a drama and that's sort of where we're fitting into that sort of space uh, we tend to avoid going over the hour mark we're trying to kind of build that sort of model around that it's not like a strict hard and fast rule but we sort of that's that's our sort of target range of content but nothing that's super super short form and so all of this content is being your commission, you're working, you said, with a TV production partner. Yeah. TV is expensive. Tell us about your backers. Can you tell us about your funders, your investors? Not just yet, but I'll happily come back on next year and talk a bit more about our funders. But it is expensive. But what we're doing, I think, rather savvily is we're working with one big partner to produce 80% of our content. We do have a small discretionary fund for passion projects and for individual things that feel right that fit outside that deal. But we're using a lot of their global infrastructure because we're not a broadcaster that sits in a specific region or a specific area. We're able to kind of produce everywhere. And I think the big thing that's kind of coming through in, in MIPCOM this year is lots of fantastic places and countries that are doing new and different tax incentives. I mean, the Austrians have launched theirs this year. I know uh, Ireland are continuing their backing and doing doing some fantastic new things. And I think the big one has been the Saudis that have got their big uh, rebates. And for us, it's it's looking at different countries and, and we're doing it. I think sometimes us in the UK get into a little bit of a bubble and think about how things are made in the UK. But actually, fundamentally, you know, like we go to spend a lot of time in the Nordics doing stuff there. And how they go about making stuff is way more cost effective, a way maintains that quality but allows allows us to do that at a price point um, that works for us that's interesting and, and we've had previous guests on telecasts over the years who working in some of the smaller tv markets but with smaller budgets but the creativity that goes into making those shows successful and making them look fantastic is really something that you'd be looking to lean into that expertise to make great shows for much less yeah for us the way we see it is we very much see our subscribers giving us their hard-earned money and we being the sort of arbitrators to spend that money and so we're not ridiculously small budgets but we're nowhere near the size of netflix we sort of probably sit around the same price point that uk broadcasters pay for a lot of non-scripted content and the drama we're doing is more continuing or sort of a larger commission drama at the same time and so for us it's really about you know, extracting that value, but also just finding how we can do that. And for a creator, for example, that, that lives in the United States, it really doesn't matter if we fly them to London or to Copenhagen. You know, it's not, not a big deal for them. We're here at MIPCOM. It's a, a traditional TV market. Obviously, there's lots of new technologies that are featured. So there's lots of discussion around AI, which I would imagine will be a tool that you'll be using a lot going forward. Uh, there's lots of talk about fast channels as well. But it is a traditional TV market and the biggest at that. That's lots of buying and selling content going on. What are you doing here then? <laughs> I end up 
just meeting, I think, lots of the other interesting people that are here. I think, you know, we sort of stay out of the buying and selling game and that sort of thing. And I think, you know, that represents probably 90% of the people here. But, you know, what we try and find is interesting people. And for us, what's also really valuable is a lot of the decision makers are here. And so the sort of top execs and all the big companies are here. Not the ones that are sat there doing the buying and selling, but the ones that are there to, to meet people like myself and, and do different deals. And so, you know, our sort of deal with big producers and we've spoken to lots of the big production companies, um, a lot of those conversations start with the executives here at MIP conferences. On the technology piece as well, have you already got a platform partner as the, that's providing the back end or are you going through the process of working with the infrastructure i don't i don't claim to understand how it works presumably it's not just a website it's a website with lots of back end around it. have you have you got a partner now fundamentally we are a tech company and we are building all of that from scratch and so we've built over the last year a lot of video tech and so now we can do sub five second live streaming in most of the western world that's fundamentally what gets me excited and it's why a lot of the production stuff we're, we're sort of off sourcing to someone else is because fundamentally we're a tech company at its heart and what we're really passionate about is building the best streaming product that is out there and so when we talk about social streaming and this sort of mix between netflix and discord fundamentally it's around building a brilliant product that our audience want to come and use and want to come back to not to diss too much on uk players but like their tech is like 10 15 20 years old now and so what we're able to do rather excitingly is start a blank new slate use really great brilliant open source projects and adapt them and make and bring them in into our ecosystem and allow us to use those so for any of our listeners who are fascinated by what you're doing i mean are you looking for any more partners in terms of content partners or working with any of the creators i mean who is it you're looking to partner with that you you may have met here that you want to speak to i mean we're really really open to speak to a wide range of people it's kind of my job to go and speak to if you're a creator if you work in business development if you're doing different things Uh, for me what gets me really excited is if if innovation is part of your dna and what you do we want to talk to you to 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 level with you if you're kind of a a a boring sort of commissioner or, or a very old school production company that doesn't really think about innovation in the future probably not for us but i imagine the sort of people that are listening to this are probably the sort of people that are into innovation we're happy to have chats at markets or we're based in the uk and so if you're uk based we're we're always happy to have conversations or zooms but you know for us what i really like is i like kind of people that are doing something different people that are exploring new technology new different things and also people that are excited about working with creators and doing stuff in the creator space Brandon, thank you so much for joining me. It's really fascinating to hear about what you're doing. I'm going to be watching it with great interest, as I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be. So great to see you at MIPCOM. Thanks for spending some time with us. Thank you for having me. So on MIPCOM Day 2, I'm here with Virginia Musilet from TV Programme Analysis Business, The Wit. How are you doing, Virginia? Hello. Very well. Thank you. Great to see you again. So you have lots of different presentations I'd love to hear what you think is trending around the world in TV and fiction and lots of other uh, genres. So tell me what you're seeing as the trending topics in TV. So to start with fiction, we see two movements. First, very real programs, real, like um, based on on true facts and, and quite dark. And the totally unreal uh, fiction um, adapted from webtoons from Korea and comedy. It had been a long time had I had not found any comedy to present and this time I was very happy because I really found comedy and, and, and things to laugh in a kind of antagonism with other series that are totally real, based on real facts and also trending with, with uh, you know, for instance, uh, migrants uh, tragedies, uh, crime, migrants, and uh, society uh, issues. So these are all shows that are types of shows that are doing well around the world, and you're expecting to see more and more of those being commissioned going forward. Yes, I think so. It, it's not that they're doing well in terms of rating because I, usually I present shows that have not started or that are about to start. But I see that in terms of the 
creativity and content for fiction. It's really focusing on the crisis that uh, the society uh, faces at the moment. And on the other side, on real humor and comedy that we did an, an unreal, uh, you know, or surreal situation that people probably need to escape. And your sessions are always the, the must-see, must-attend sessions at MIPCOM. Lots of execs tell me, oh, no, I can't do it that time because I'm going to see Virginia from the wit. Tell me about what other types of trend analysis you've been doing. You've done fiction. You're saying that, you know, there's a, a rise in comedy, which is great. We all need a bit of levity in these uh, difficult times. What else are you seeing? I'm also doing a presentation on formats. And the formats, there are two... Uh, two ways uh, at the moment uh, to deal with formats first a lot of reboots so like if you you, you were stuck to a certain uh, security of the past and pleasure of the past and you know with classic comedy formats like uh, a reboot of uh, the uh, Joe Schmo show and uh, a new format that uh, looks very interesting called The Underdog uh, where you have one real uh, contestant but actually thinks is uh, in the middle of a new reality show and uh, actually all the others are actors who will prong him. And on the other side you have an attraction for uh, artificial intelligence but actually it's also linked to a fear where to will AI bring us? And there's an interesting format. Uh, is it Are You For Real? Because it's a dating show where one suitor is real and the four others are just uh, uh, made uh, by artificial intelligence. And if the main contestant chooses the fake one, he loses everything, you know. So he fantasizes on, on the, uh, on the artificial intelligence uh, uh, being. So it's, it reveals also a global fear for the future of the planet. We're attracted by the future with all the possibility of uh, AI, but at the same time we don't know where it will bring us to and it reflects our global fear for, for the future and we have also a couple of formats more on the factual side uh, on uh, what is uh, how is our future looking for instance there is a show called the restaurant of the future not to destroy our bodies maybe we have to change the way of uh, cooking eating etc and also what can we do with the heat uh, uh, what can we do uh, to survive uh, this uh, natural catastrophes uh, that we can control and maybe we can't control the artificial intelligence either so it's really uh, the, the, the big success in Spain this summer uh, was called Grand Prix and it was uh, a reboot of a show from uh, mid, the mid 90s so uh, you know quite old but it was uh, a very uh, uh, light-hearted, uh, easy-going show with uh, stupid uh, challenges. Uh, uh, it was the success of the summer in Spain. And uh, at the same time in Spain, you have a, a show on uh, um, an adventure game show on the uh, challenges um, uh, faced uh, because of the uh, global heating. All right. Virginia, thank you so much. It's always a pleasure to speak to you and uh, you. get an idea of uh, what's trending and what's uh, what are the next trends in TV. Thank so. you very much for inviting me. It's uh, always a pleasure to speak with you. My next guest on this week's MIPCOM telecast special is Eric Lapointe from And Now Global Distribution Business. Eric, welcome to Cannes. Uh, thank you. And um, actually, I'll just be a little bit more precise. It's actually a consulting company that does help people with distribution, but also with development as well. So yeah, well, tell me a little bit more about your business then. Who do you work for? How do you work? What's your key focus area? Sure. Well, it's good that you actually mentioned distribution because when I first moved to Vancouver some, gosh, now six years ago, I did actually plan on uh, starting up a distribution company with no investment whatsoever. And it was going okay, but then the pandemic hit. And, uh, and then I just realized that I was already making most of uh, my income from consulting. So, you know, when things aren't working, you just kind of double down on what is working. So I basically fired myself and, uh, and started doing more consulting, started uh, reaching out to new clients. So I, I represented a bunch of different clients. In that regard, one of my main ones is a company out of Vancouver called Global Mechanic. They're an animation studio that have been around for 20 plus years. So with them, my main role is to help them with their development slate of new IP. 
Okay, so it's mainly producers that you're consulting with and helping them work out how they sell their shows internationally. Exactly. So I have another client in Vancouver called Trembling Void Studios. They have a number of live action IP, mostly drama, thrillers, some helping them with their development. And then on the flip side, there's another uh, new client of mine, uh, Swan Inc., based out of L.A., and they have a ready-made, self-produced series called Phoenix. And with them, the goal has been mostly to help them find the distribution that they need. Clearly, it's animation, it's scripted, and factual as well. You work across all genres. Yeah, it's a bit crazy. Maybe not non-factual so much, but and and at a certain point, I think I, I'll stick to scripted because I'm already doing too much, but that is also the life of a consultant. And I do all sorts of other things too, by the way, Justin. I do. Uh, I, I have shares in three uh, stand-up clubs in the Vancouver area and actually now, and actually now uh, Calgary as well. So I've got my hands in all sorts of things, but media is obviously my my first passion so we're sat here in Cannes and you can hear the uh, genuine sound effects of a motorcycle going past which is uh, it's not AI generated we're genuinely here in the back streets of Cannes MIPCOM you're here for MIPCOM clearly it's an important market for you what are you going to be doing over the next few days so the clients that I just represented I've got meetings for them in just an hour we're going to close a distribution deal for Phoenix and then after that, uh, meeting with uh, different broadcasters and other co-producers for the animation studio out of uh, Vancouver. And then also as a consultant, just kind of being here to find out, are there other potential producers that need support and need help? So generally networking as well. You mainly work with production companies from the Americas or do you work with uh, European uh, producers as well? Uh, right now, it's all the Americas, yeah. So let's talk about the TV industry for a consultant right now. It's a tough time, right? We all know that. We've all had challenges over this year, whether you're in a, well, mainly in your production business, uh, distribution obviously is going to be slightly challenged when the key buyers are buying less. How has it affected you and how are you seeing it from your standpoint? It will indirectly affect me, but from the most part, my role is to connect the producers with other distribution companies and the broadcasters. I think the strike that happened in the States did not help at all with the development side of things. And it didn't help at all, even on the sales side of things. You know, one of the things we we're constantly afraid of is while we're pitching these shows, are as Canadians, are we going to look like the Americans call it scab? Like, like if, you, if you're like trying to come in and pitch a show from a different country then you're a scab for the, you know. So it was kind of a weird time, but you, at the same time, you didn't know how long it would last. And so it has to be business as usual. Let's just keep pitching because anyways, development takes forever. So by the time that we would get a green light, the, the strike would be over. So it was a concern, but really it wasn't a concern. I think it's psychologically a concern, mainly to Americans as well. Yeah. So MIPCOM's not just about those back-to-back -back meetings and uh, charging up and down the croissette. It's also about networking, it's about partying, it's about lunches. Uh, how's your diary looking? Are you kind of uh, maxed out? A little bit. Actually, I kept it light on purpose this time. I only, this is like my fewest meetings ever. And that doesn't sound great for a podcast, but I, I booked myself like 20 meetings. I'm going to attend more panels, which is something I've never actually done in my what eight nine years of attending here and just planning on going to more cocktails and more networking in the evening because sometimes that's where the action happens and that's where you you meet people and new potential clients and new potential partners and you know you already know who you already know so we're going to run into them we're going to have drinks with them and then if the conversation strikes up there's some holes in my uh, schedules that i can then fill up for those conversations Rather than always being like, I think I'm over, overly paranoid. I'm always trying to like stack up my schedule and then I do run into people and then I have no flexibility. So what's, I guess I'm doing the opposite of what I used to always do. Yeah, well, that's, that's the danger, isn't it? That you want to justify the cost of coming here and flying halfway around the world and stacking your diary and yep. thinking I'm going to get, you know, I need to get the return in investment for coming here. But, you, you know, do, and it's important. You, yeah, you have to, right? But at the same time, I think I, I reach a certain amount that I was happy with, and then I just scheduled a, a number of like dinners and whatnot. And just last night, I had an impromptu dinner, and then we all ended up at Brown Sugar, and then I yes. 
I saw more people in one Saturday night <laughs> than I would have if I had tried to schedule that with everybody. So, so you're saying you're going to visit some panel sessions. Uh, is there any one in particular you've highlighted that you know he's definitely gone in the diary? I do wish that there would have been more interesting panels because this is the first time I'm actually going to panels. I was a little bit underwhelmed by the options. I'm just going to be completely honest with you. However, the ones that stand out for me that I will check out, again, because I worked in scripted and worked with different producers, the formats one is of interest. Uh, that's the Frappa Format Summit. Interested in the Fast and Global Summit, although I kind of know what I'm about to hear, but I, I'm, I'm going to keep an open mind and hope that that is really uh, interesting. And then on top of that, there's a, an, another separate Fast and AVOD panel on the Wednesday as well. So so those are like three examples of what I'm going to check out and hope that they're productive. And I think we've had this conversation before, Justin. Sometimes you go to panels and it's a lot of self-promotion. And at the end of the day, especially when you're a new producer, you want to go to these events and really learn something. So as somebody who's been in the business for a while and now actually testing out panels for the first time, I was like, I think this could have been slightly better. But we'll, we'll see how it goes. Okay, well, yeah, that, that's often a criticism leveled at uh, event producers about the panels being more self-serving than actually generating and providing insight to the delegates. So well, let's, let's see. I'm sure there'll, uh, yeah. there'll be some some of the panels that will deliver Eric thank you so much I know you've got a packed schedule thank you for chatting with me for Telecast and uh, good luck at MIPCOM great thank you so much it's been a pleasure so as we wrap up our MIPCOM 2023 Telecast special as always I'm here with Lucy Smith to wrap up the week Lucy how are you doing hello Justin I'm doing really well a little tired but uh, doing great thank you it's been a great beginning to MIPCOM with MIP Junior at the weekend before it seems to have been a successful week. A lot of people are talking about deals that they've done. So it's clearly business has been done this week. So that's that's all good. So Lucy, tell us about the highlights of MIP Junior and MIPCOM. Well, the weekend kicked off really well, which uh, I was glad to say, because I think MIP Junior last year felt a little bit less vibrant than it had in the past. And this this weekend felt really like Mip Junior was back. Everyone was so happy. There was a really big increase in the numbers of people who came. There were over 1,200 people there and a lot of great, you know, keynotes and screenings and everything. So I think, and the, and the party on the opening night, we had like more than almost 600 people. I had to beg the Majestic to keep people coming in. So, so we did have a great, a great weekend to kick off. And then yesterday, the opening day of MIPCOM was absolutely packed with great events and great things happening. So we've had the world premiere screenings, which actually kicked off on the Sunday evening, of course, with Zorro, um, with Miguel Bernardo and the new the new man behind the mask from Media One and a packed audience. And then again, last night, Alison Jack from Fremantle, Andrea Riseborough was there. So it's wonderful seeing some amazing talent and producing talent here in Cannes. And we had a whole series of keynotes where each time it was just really inspirational people and talking about the industry and what's happening. And that's what people are here to hear about and the announcements. So someone like, you know, Gerhard Zeiler from uh, Warner Brothers Discovery, they made their announcement about the, the rollout of Max in Europe. Chris Abrego was here with the amazing Eva Longoria, where they've announced their new company, Hyphenate. We had Maxime Seder, the CEO of Canal Plus, who I have to say was a very, very inspirational conversation with uh, Cynthia Littleton from Variety, where he really did focus a lot on everything he's he learned from Netflix and how he managed to make them a partner and not a competitor. And also talked about the amazing opportunities he believes there will be in the millions of stories that are ready to come out of Africa. And they're looking to invest more in production there. So all of that was going on. We had our country of honor delegation with us all day so the vice minister and we had a, an inauguration and various sessions including a um, keynote from the, the the CEO of Tencent which was um, very well attended as well we ended the evening with a really good party again at the Majestic and it was really packed and we had a lot of talent who came to the red carpet there so that's why I might sound slightly tired and now we're on to Tuesday 
Yeah, and that's right. I'm, my voice is getting a, a little bit hoarse as well, uh, but it's always a sign of a good MIPCOM. As MIPCOM 2023 draws to a close, we always think about MIPTV and what's coming next in another six months. Tell us about MIPTV and how that's looking in 2024. Sure, of course. MIPTV, um, of course, we're already planning, looking forward. We have new dates this year, which will be the 8th to the 10th of April 2024, with a newly confirmed pre-opening weekend. So the 6th and the 7th, which will be dedicated to what's always been the case at MIPTV, the biggest weekend in Unscripted with MIPDOC and MIP format. So under one badge, one registration, everyone can have MIP.MIP formats plus MIP TV. So during the MIP TV days, there'll be more time to focus on making sure exhibitors can have the meetings they need. So yeah, we've, we're very busy planning MIP TV already, I can, I can uh, promise you. Yeah, that's interesting. So it's really kicking off on the Saturday, right? So it's, it's, it's the, the whole weekend before the normal Monday to, to Wednesday and uh, just really giving people the opportunity to spread out the meetings a little bit more because I think that's what some of the feedback that we've had on telecast from MIP TV has always been that people really appreciate the fact of having perhaps less meetings but more productive and fruitful conversations by having you know maybe one an hour as opposed to one every half hour. Yeah no absolutely heard the same thing it gets more into the a good quality conversation that really can move a project forward in a more important way so um, I agree, some less meetings, but more in-depth meetings. I think MIP TV absolutely will have more time for that. And also, I think that weekend allows people to, before the, the market opens, focus on the discovery. And that was always what it was about. MIP Doc and MIP Formats were about discovering the new content. So MIP Doc with its screenings library and MIP Formats, where there, there's lots of presentations of the new formats coming from around the world, pitching, etc. So that's our goal is to bring that back because that's always what was a very big strength of MIP TV. Lucy, I'll let you get on for the last day or two of MIPCOM. It looks like it's been a great success. So congratulations. We'll see you for MIP TV. Absolutely. And thank you very much. There's still a lot ahead, Justin. We've still got our personality of the year coming into town today, Bob Backish, um, which is really exciting. And one of the highlights that I mentioned when we talked before, which is diversity and inclusion taking place today, our big Diversified TV Awards. So we're here on Plage Goland, day three on the Wednesday of MIPCOM, and I'm here with Andy Fry, senior reporter from MIPCOM News. Andy, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Uh, very well, very well. Nice to be here on the beach, looking lovely. So uh, how are you, Justin? You okay? I'm really well. My feet are hurting a bit, I have to be honest, but I'm tired but happy, I yeah, think. Yeah, you really have to tread the boards here, don't you? So. You do, you do. I think I, I think I walked seven and a half miles, my Apple uh, Health app tells me uh, yesterday, but thank you for joining me. It's great to, to see you for our now sort of fairly traditional MIPCOM News wrap. So... Tell us, what, what are the main stories that have been making the news for MIPCOM news this week? It's a big, diverse market, so, so there are lots of stories, um, some thematic, some deal-making. I think I'd probably start with some of the keynotes that we've had here. So we've had um, Gerhard uh, Zeiler of um, Warner Brothers Discovery speaking. We've had Bob Backish of uh, Paramount talking. And I think the takeaway from both of those guys is that because of the correction we've seen this year in terms of the, the streamers' strategies, you know, they, you know, they found that they weren't growing their SVOD business as quickly as perhaps they'd hoped. They were spending a lot on content. They weren't sure how to monetize it profitability became a much more important issue for them so what the message we got from both of those guys was that content licensing is still a really important part of their business model now that's obviously good news for for MIPCOM and for anyone who comes here what they're saying is that of course we're creating content for our own platforms but we're in the business of selling our content to third parties because what they say is that they want to get their content out to as many consumers as possible but what they mean when you decode that is they want to make as much money out of their content as they can so I think that's been a big important theme that the notion of distribution is dead is is far from true streamers in the wall gardens are having to be more flexible uh, we saw that earlier this year with the um, the arrival of the advertising uh, tiers on their platforms as well so i think that's been a really important thing i'd say one of the other stories that interested me was mo abudu's keynote so uh, mo is the ceo of ebony life which is a nigerian company 
And she has quite a lot of partnerships <laughs> with the likes of Sony and Lionsgate and uh, Idris Elba and the BBC. But she was talking about how difficult it is to get really big budgets for African content that she's just not seeing people like her on TV. And I, I think there's a really interesting point there, which is that everybody recognizes that Africa is, is an emerging continent uh, of significance, that you know, in, in 20, 25 years' time, a quarter of the world's population are going to be you know, living in Africa. It's, it's a massive growth opportunity, but so far no one has made the big bet on African content. No, you know, there isn't a kind of an African stranger things. And I think she feels that she gets a lot of pushback from commissioners when she tries to pitch ideas. Following through on that, we saw Amazon Prime this morning doing its own spotlight on Africa. So Amazon had a couple of executives talking about what they're doing in Africa. And, you know, in a way it contradicted Mo, but in, in a way it reinforced her. I mean, they're there, they're looking for ideas, but their first big idea is an unscripted idea out of Nigeria. So, you know, the fact that they're going down an unscripted route suggests that they want great stories from Nigeria, South Africa, other parts of the continent. But at the moment, they, they're not going to commit massive budgets to that. So, so I think there's an interesting story there about, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe this is the wrong year to spend a lot of money on African content. But the time has got to come when that happens. There are so many changes happening in the industry. This year, I think we've seen as much turbulence going in the market and a certain amount of uncertainty. And you know, as you intimated earlier on, you know, lots of the big media players looking at their business models and taking a bit of a U-turn in, in terms of you know, content and, and licensing distribution. But equally, these businesses have got to look to the future, right? And as you say, that's a massive growth market. We also saw China coming back, which has always been earmarked as a growth market, but you know that's probably received for a number of reasons over the last few years, not least through COVID, but also censorship issues as well. What else did you see as, as, as key trends and stories? Yeah, I think um, it's always illuminating to go to um, the WIT sessions with uh, Virginia Mousselet. She, you know, she always packs the auditoria with her you know, format sessions and her, her fiction sessions. So today she did fiction. And I, I felt one of the interesting points that she highlighted there was that the continued growth of drama based on true life. She'd done a kind of a bit of a data breakdown. She pointed out that there were more dramas this year based on true life stories than there were the previous year. So it's a growth market. And that really speaks to um, some of the risk aversion in the market at the moment. People would rather go for, you know, in, in the UK, a Yorkshire Ripper story or a Jimmy Savile story. They want to go after things that already have, an, you know, some in, inbuilt brand equity. One of the shows she picked out was... Um, was one I, I've been talking a lot about via platforms like LinkedIn recently called The Long Shadow, which is a very good show about the Yorkshire Ripper, really well told, and, and that's been selling around the world. They did a lot of deals this week. So what she was saying was that there are a lot of stories based on reality, and a lot of those reality stories tend to be crime stories. So true crime has also been lifted. All, all, all true crime boats have been lifted at the same time. So, so I'd say the big winner this year, uh, this year has been true crime, not just in the UK. Uh, there were some French examples as well. Uh, lots of stories revolving around how women have been let down by institutions. There was um, a story coming out of France which was about a, a, a rapist who was able to, to rape hundreds and hundreds of women over a period of 30 years and not get caught. And it was to do very much with the negligence of the police. I think there's an Irish one called uh, The Vanishing Silence, which again, same thing, disappearing women, police slow to react. And that was what The Long Shadow was about as well. So true crime doesn't go away always here uh, but but seems to be more more examples of fiction true crime than previously and i think she also uh, talked about migrant crisis and the way that the uh, current issues that we're having all around the world with migrants and that's also another example of you know those true stories playing out essentially and people wanting more authenticity from their drama yeah, I think so. I think I think you're exactly right. She pointed to another example of uh, a big sinking of a ship called the Estonia, uh, which sank in the Baltic Sea about uh, 30, 40 years ago, killing 800 people. And that looks like a really, really well-crafted uh, piece of drama. But you're right, you know, whether it's to do with uh, you know, issues of the migrant crisis, major catastrophes, true crime, all of those things are, are stories that we're, we're gripped by as audiences. And, and at a time like this, when you, you have to be sparing with your cash... You have to make sure you back the right things. 
you know, then, you know, it makes sense to do that. And as I say, it kind of, it flows into this notion that the industry is doing a lot of rebooting at the moment. I mean, it always has. It is a risk-averse industry. But um, this came up with, uh, there was a BBC session with uh, Rebecca Glashow and Ralph Lee from BBC Studios. One's distribution, one's production, and they were talking very much about you know, how they're dealing with the current situation. And, and they, get, they gave sneak previews of two of their projects, one of which is a reboot of The Famous Five. So, you know, so if you're, if you're looking for an example of reboots, then, you know, that's a, a good one. The other project's Planet Earth 3, not a reboot, but they've built this amazing brand. So why not, you know, keep working with it, keep monetizing something that's proven to be a global success? So, yeah, I think that was a risk aversion. Rebooting was another big message this week. There was a return to discussions around FAST, this time was the first Fast and Global Summit was held at MIP TV, obviously. It was a MIPCOM version of that as well. What are you seeing in terms of announcements around Fast? Because there seems to be so many of them coming out almost every day. I think the nature of Fast is that if you have a show, you know, with more than two or three hundred hours of content, you can make a channel. You know, so Jamie Oliver channel, Gordon Ramsay channel, you, you know, so, so anyone who has that can go to a facilitator like a Margie they can get a channel up and running. Uh, and in addition to that, there are probably 100 to 150 different platforms out there. So we all know about Samsung TV Plus and Roku and Freevee. Um, but th- there are many more. Rakuten, it just goes on and on. Most of the connected TV manufacturers, Vizio, TCL, they have platforms. So the reason you're seeing so many announcements is because there are so many companies with shows and so many platforms and so many territories. So when you think about that, every announcement you're seeing is company X launching a channel on a new platform into a new market. So they could be doing that, you know, 20 times across the year. It can be genre-based, like true crime, for example, but it also can be individual IP-based as well, like you say. Yeah, which is it's an interesting point in itself because um, the, there's been a fast and global summit here this time for two days. And one of the session the first session today was uh, Evan Shapiro who was meant to be here in person hosting the summit but I, unfortunately he's unwell so he gave a session he got up at three o'clock in the morning to give a session from America where he presented his findings on the market and one of the things he pointed out is that actually the biggest growth area in fast right now is news and live and music and the point he was making is that it's like the beginning of the televisionizing of fast and all of the kind of library channels that have, have led the way are perhaps less significant than maybe we thought they were going to be. So they're being overtaken by people who can come up with live content, news content, maybe original content. So we're seeing a transitioning. And I think one of his really interesting points, I, I, everybody, it's like a gold rush at the moment. Everybody thinks that Fast is the great new opportunity to make money. And he was making the point that you really need to see it in context. And, and he was pointing out the fact that in the world of connected TV, which is where Fast essentially lives, the biggest player by far is YouTube. He says, if you look at the revenues and the audience that YouTube can grab, it, it far surpasses anything that's happening in Fast. So I think Fast players have to be very careful about the fact that they are playing in a market that has some very big beasts. Having said that, an exec from Amagi um, came on the stage afterwards. They were sponsoring the event, and he, he talked about the positives. You know, he said it's still a growth market. Fast is still growing, you know, quicker than SFOD, quicker than pay TV, which is actually in decline. And he talked about some of the ways in which Fast will improve and the user experience will get better, content will get better, there'll be new innovations in ad formats. So he was still selling a very positive, encouraging message. Obviously, he has to because that's his business. As long as you enter Fast with your eyes wide open, recognize the fact that you have to have good content to cut through and that probably you're going to have to have a bit of a budget for some origination not i'm not talking about 10 million an episode origination but you've got to be capable of creating some content that's going to sit on your channel that's going to create some sense of refreshment on your channel i think that's important um and as long as you remember that there are big beasts in the jungle like youtube then then you know it's an interest it's still an interesting area and i'm sure there'll be another summit next time mipcom rolls around how would you summarize this mipcom in terms of the news that's come out of it and the key trends really that you see well, I think, I mean, I think we've covered a lot. And what we haven't really talked about is the deals. Now, these markets are always thought about uh, as being places you come to do deals. Now, the reality is that often you start a deal a couple of months ahead, 
and then you get to the market and you, you maybe put in place a really important part of the deal. You maybe sign it off at the market or maybe you kind of have a, a conversation about some of the, the nuttier elements of the deal and, and maybe you finish it off afterwards. So it's, it's slightly unrealistic to imagine that you're just going to get lots of deals done within the two or three days of the market. But deals get moved on and deals get announced. And I think there were quite a lot of deals. You know, and I, I mean, I, I, I created a list, which is just some of the ones that I'd noticed um, which, so I'm not being too too kind of academic about it, but we had Banerjee selling Marie Antoinette to the BBC. We had Cineflix selling Reginald the Vampire and Last King of the Cross to various broadcasters. ITV Studios was selling World on Fire around the world. All Three Media was selling Drama to Acorn, so that's scripted content. Um, we had format deals like uh, IEPM in Turkey uh, buying the format for Avenida Brazil to, to remake that in Turkey. We've had some deals around game shows, Amazon Prime today uh, taking a BBC format called the 1% Club, got the BBC and Nippon TV co-developing something called Coso Coso. So you know, you can, you, and, and in, in documentary, um, Passion is selling an anniversary documentary about the assassination of JFK, 60 years on. So there's, there's stuff happening, you know, people are doing deals. You know, I think if you've got your eye open to an opportunity, then it's still a, you know, it's still, it's still a business where transactions are happening. And, and I think that's, that's one of the encouraging things that, for all the doom and gloom, you know, there's still a voracious content market to be fed. And coming to, you know, there are 10 or 11,000 people here this week and maybe slightly smaller than last year's, which was a very euphoric return after COVID, but still really big execs from all over the world doing deals, co-productions, format deals, sales. So I'd say there's, there's a, a resilience. Well, I don't want to be, you know, I don't want to hype it too much. It's not, it's not, not a buoyant market, but there's a resilience and a desire to do business, you know. And, and you see it on people's faces. It's like, I mean, I haven't seen anyone look depressed. You know, it's like, you know, people are glad to be here and glad to be doing business. Andy Fry, thank you so much as ever for giving us that, you know, really great overview of what's been going on at MIPCOM this week. And uh, we'll see you again for MIP TV. Yeah, yeah, no problem, mate. Good to, good to talk. Well, that's about it from MIPCOM 2023. Thanks for listening. I'm off for a lie down now. Telecast was edited by Ian Chambers and recorded in Cannes. On next week's show, I'm chatting with BBC Studios' Nat Poulter and Jasmine Dawson as we discuss all things digital first. Until then, stay safe. <laughs>